Right. Well, thank you, uh, Dwayne, um, and good morning, and welcome to Advent season here at Harvest. Um, what is Advent? What does it mean? I mean, we, we throw that term around, and, and we, uh, we have different traditions with it, but what does it really mean? Well, here's a definition from Wikipedia, real quick uh, definition. Advent is a season observed in many Western Christian churches as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the Nativity of Jesus at Christmas. The term is a version of the Latin word meaning coming. And then Latin Adventus is the translation of the Greek word parousia, commonly used to refer to the second coming of Christ. For Christians, the season of Advent anticipates the coming of Christ from two different perspectives. The season offers the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah and to be alert for his second coming. Let's pray. Lord, as we um, begin to talk about Advent and its meaning, would you prepare our hearts to receive your word and to understand your purposes and even how you want us to prepare our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is actually the second week of Advent. Last week we lit the first Advent candle, which was uh, the candle of prophecy. The prophecy of the baby to be born in a manger in a small town called Bethlehem. Um, Today's candle, the second week of Advent, is actually called the preparation candle, or the candle of preparation. Now, uh, like Duane said, we, we all have various ways of preparing for, um, for Christmas, right? How do you guys prepare for Christmas? Last week, uh, last week, I uh, busted out the ladder um, and got down the Christmas uh, decorations from uh, the, our, our garage is where we store them. And, uh, and you know, I began to put up the, the Christmas lights. Right? So this is a little early for me. Uh, but many people go around, uh, about preparing uh, for Christmas really early. Uh, Christmas musical uh, uh, productions have been in rehearsal for weeks now. Uh, some of you have already participated in things like Operation Christmas Child, both in preparing shoe boxes, but also inspecting those shoe boxes and getting them ready to send out uh, from the warehouse. Ben and Jerry Campbell are expecting their second child, and uh, I don't know, have we heard anything? We haven't heard anything yet, so she was due yesterday, so I guess the baby's a little bit overdue. But um, in anticipation of that, they actually began putting up their Christmas decorations at the beginning of November. Um, Why? Because Jerry, being the organized mom that she is, realized that with the baby coming so early in December, she wouldn't have time to 
take her time to decorate the home and, and get it ready. So she did it ahead of time so that they could celebrate the season once the little one came without having to worry about it. Um, starting your preparation weeks in advance or waiting until the very last minute will generally dictate the pleasure that you derive from the holiday season. So, guys, if you wait until December 24th at 11.30 p.m. to start your Christmas shopping, then uh, you will probably regret it. You will probably regret it. God wants us uh, to prepare for Christmas as well. But what he has in mind, I think, uh, might be quite a bit different from what we think of as preparation. I think God wants us to prepare from the inside out rather than from the outside in. I think God is more concerned about where our hearts and our mind are than he is about the external trappings of Christmas. So are you willing to spend the next few weeks doing a little internal prep work? This morning we begin actually with a little bit of the backstory of Christmas. Even before that silent night, holy night, God was hard at work preparing hearts to meet and greet the little one known as the baby Jesus. Now, many people today are skeptical of Christmas. Um, they think that it's a marketing scheme set up by companies like Macy's or Coca-Cola or Hallmark to sell more stuff. And to some extent, it is, right? It is. There's a very good chance that Jesus was not born on December 25th. I hope that I'm not bursting your bubble in that. And that this is all has been created to drum up more reasons to spend more money and to invent things like Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays and whatever. Our skepticism is sometimes well-deserved, but God has an answer for skeptical hearts. And at the beginning of this passage, um, we read that, that God helps even those with the most skeptical hearts to prepare for this, for this season we call Advent. Um, so, what is God's way of preparing? Sorry. I'm at the end. Okay. Sorry. Hold on. I messed up. What is God's way of preparing skeptical hearts? Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's, let's read this together. All right? It's printed on, on the inside of your programs, uh, on the outline, but it's also up on, the, up on the screen. Let's read it together. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. 
Preparation starts with a trustworthy source. Preparation starts with a trustworthy source. Who is this man called Luke, and why should we trust him? This writer of the gospel? Well, we know that he probably wasn't one of the original 12 apostles, like Matthew or like John. But we do know that he was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. In fact, Luke probably wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together at the same time. Some people think that these two books were actually one book in two parts. We also know from Paul's writings that Luke was probably a doctor. He might have been a Greek citizen or he might have been a converted Jew turned Christian. In any case, he was probably a man who had an education and we see from the opening of this gospel that he, was per, he has personally investigated all the evidence that came down from eyewitnesses. So he could write an orderly account of the events of the life of Christ. Luke's writings are trustworthy. We can trust them. In fact, some historians count Luke as a historian of the highest order. His descriptions of the places and events in the book of Acts are very accurate. And so it is with high probability that his accounting of the gospel facts would echo that accuracy. While he probably wasn't an eyewitness himself, he had access to the teachings and writings of eyewitnesses, and perhaps even some of the eyewitnesses themselves. Now, why is this important? Well, these are events that happened many years ago. But at the time Luke wrote this, perhaps... Only a few years, maybe even a decade or less, had passed. So it was still fairly fresh and recent in the time of the writing. But now, thousands of years later, can we still trust the accuracy and veracity of these writings? Well, why would we believe ancient texts that tell us about people like the pharaohs of Egypt or the Caesars of Rome? or someone like Confucius, or like the Mayan civilizations? Why would we trust those writings any more than we trust the writings of Dr. Luke? Could it be, perhaps, the fantastic, miraculous nature of the gospel writings? Yeah, I think so. But I didn't, that didn't prevent Dr. Luke from writing about these events. He still recorded them as they were fact. Truth, he says, can be known with certainty. Truth can be known with certainty if our hearts are prepared to receive it. Now, Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus, and Theophilus actually is translated into the words lover of God. So his name literally means lover of God so that he may know with certainty the things that had been already taught. We can know the certainty of the truth if our hearts are prepared to receive it. We can know that. If you're, enter if you're entering into this Advent season with a skeptical mind, then I would challenge you to have an open heart. Have an open heart to the truth and the message of the Advent. 
You, might, you may find yourself surprised by God's gift in the form of his son, Jesus. Over the next few months, we're going to look more closely at the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And while the gospel tells his stories, it's still up to you to believe whether or not it's true. But if it is true, then it's also up to you to respond to that truth. And I do pray that you have an open heart and a mind to respond. Now Luke begins the story not starting with Jesus, but starting with some relatives of Jesus, an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now this is God's preparation for mature hearts. For mature hearts. It reads like this. And we're going to be going through quite a few um, scriptures, so... Bear with us. If you don't like to read, you can just listen. Uh, But we're going to cover quite a bit of ground here. All right? I'm going to read this for you. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. Then an angel of of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord. I'm sorry. God prepares our hearts in his time frame. In his time frame, not ours. Here's a couple well along in their years, both physically and spiritually. Zechariah is part of the priesthood, so he must have been a devout Jew, and Elizabeth was a relative of Aaron, a direct descendant of Moses. They must have had quite a spiritual lineage. I'm sure when they got married, 
they began, and began their family, they would have desired to have children. There was only one problem. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have kids. I can only imagine the anguish this might have caused Zechariah, but even more so Elizabeth. As children are seen by the Jews as a blessing, to be barren is to be seen as less than blessed. So year after year, they must have prayed for a child, only to be disappointed. Have you ever been in that situation? Praying and hoping, but never quite feeling like God is hearing your prayer? Um, I'm not sure if you heard this week, we found out that the uh, building that we were looking at on Warner is actually taken off the market. Um, the, the owner decided to continue renting it to keep, hang on to it for another year um, and keep renting it to the current tenants. This was a disappointment, of course, but also an answer to prayer in some ways because we pray for God's direction to open doors and close doors. And we see this as a closed door. But this building search has been going on for a, quite a while, hasn't it? Um, and you begin to wonder if you'll ever see it happen. And doubts begin to creep in and color everything you see and hear. And that's what must have been happening with Zechariah. Because this is how he answers. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, Zechariah isn't just expressing mild skepticism here. It's not like he's asking the angel, You know, are you sure? You sure you got the right guy? Um, from his response, we see he's actually asking the angel, for some sort of assurance, for some sort of guarantee. The reason? He's an old man, and his wife is well along in years as well. Now, you would think that Zechariah is a little bit more mature than this. I mean, he's with the priesthood, right? He's been, he's been a believer for so many years. You would think that after so many years of being a priest, his faith would be a little bit stronger. Well, you know, it's not uncommon for someone in ministry to get a little bit jaded. Even as Zechariah has remained faithful to his post year in and year out. It can happen. But God can use anyone at any age, at any time in their lives. This story sounds very much like Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was 90 years old when she conceived Isaac. Can you imagine bearing a child at 90 years old? Uh, I'm not sure how old Elizabeth was, but even Zechariah recognized she was well along in age. Does Zechariah have reason to be skeptical? Sure. But remember, God prepares our hearts in his time frame, not in ours. So what's the result of Zechariah's doubt? The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, 
And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day, ha- until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak with, to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, so he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. You know, God prepares our hearts for his purposes, not ours. He prepares our hearts for his purposes, not ours. Gabriel's answer to Zechariah's doubt came in the form of a sign. It wasn't a positive sign. The angel said, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. In other words, this promise is coming from God the Father himself. These words should have struck terror into Zechariah's heart. He's not just doubting. He's doubting the very word of God. Zechariah's reward for this doubt? He would lose his ability to speak. Can you imagine what that means to a priest? Uh, He would lose his ability to speak? Words are important to people who minister. Right? Ask any preacher. But to not be able to communicate as you normally would, that had to be torture. But it is God's purposes that are important, not our own. There's a reason for this promise to come true. And in fulfilling this promise, God is accomplishing an even greater purpose. Verse 24 says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God's preparation will always point us back to the promise. God's preparation will always point us back to the promise. Now, why do you think God's answer to Zechariah... And Elizabeth's prayer came in this way. Indeed, God has shown favor to Elizabeth, even in her old age, and he has taken away her disgrace among the people. But in doing so, he is preparing the way for an even greater promise. The baby that will be born to them will be named John. It says he will not take strong drink. Um, He will be declaring uh, and preparing the way for, for God in the wilderness. Um, he would have been a prophet much along the same lines as Samson, who also didn't cut his hair, was not supposed to drink strong drink, um, showed extreme um, powers, spiritual powers from God. 
John the Baptist was very much like that. But he was also very much in the power of Elijah, preparing the way for the Messiah. The prophecy that came true through John was spoken in Isaiah many years prior. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. John the Baptist was that voice calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. John would usher in the kingdom of God through Jesus and point us back to the promise. You see, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Whatever our lives mean as a believer in Christ, we should be pointing the way back to Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And how does God deliver on his promise? Well, it's in the form of a clay pot. An ordinary, common, young maiden. A virgin. And so here is the preparation of a pure heart. Preparation of a pure heart. Verse 26 tells us, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel, the same angel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. God's promise came from a humble place. God doesn't choose the rich and the famous. He doesn't choose the most powerful or the most well-bred. Mary wasn't an an actress or, or a princess or a supermodel or a diva singer. She was a young lady who was a virgin from a small town called Nazareth in the region of Galilee. She might have been even as young as maybe 15 or 16 years old, maybe not much older than a lot of you here in the first couple of rows. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and he uses the simple things of the world to carry the most precious gift. He uses clay pots, like you and like me. The angel tells Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The promise of God is an eternal promise. It's an eternal promise. Isn't it interesting that both Elizabeth and Mary 
are similar in this story. They're both the recipient of a gift. In one case, Elizabeth, this was a long time coming. It really was a miracle, but of a different sort. This news made Elizabeth and eventually Zechariah very happy, as is usually the case with new parents, even though they may be elderly. In Mary's case, she was also given the gift of a child, but she was unmarried and a virgin. To become pregnant would be scandalous, and it could change her standing in society forever. And yet, they couldn't have been more different. One married, the other not. One younger, the other more mature. One of higher standing, the other of more humble standing. And yet, both stories are interwoven into God's grand design. Now, these are no ordinary babies, John and Jesus. Even though cousins, they each had their own story, and each were important to God's eternal plan. But Jesus was clearly at the center of God's promise, and this promise wasn't simply to bring earthly joy, as a new birth always does. This promise had an eternal purpose. This was an eternal promise. And so this is Mary's response. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Our hearts are prepared when we obey in faith and in trust. Isn't it interesting how close Mary's response is to Zacharias? And yet it's different. Here is the same angel delivering almost the same message. You will carry a child. Two very different circumstances, a mature couple, a young virgin, two very different purposes, a forerunner and the Prince of Peace, the Son of God. But I think Mary's response reveals to us exactly why she's chosen to bear the Christ child. She says simply, may it, to, may it be to me as you have said. She willingly accepts the promise of the child, of a child, in faith, in trust. She is the prime example of a prepared heart. Now, what are you struggling with today? What challenges face you? How are you communicating with God on the very important issues of your life? 
And how is this issue pointing you back to the Savior? And how are you responding to that challenge? As we close here, let me, let me ask you something. Who do you relate more to? Zachariah or Mary? Zachariah and Elizabeth on the one hand, or Mary? Are you the seasoned, mature Christian? Maybe somewhat jaded, skeptical person who sees Christmas as another reason to feel anxious? Maybe even a little bit like an Ebenezer Scrooge, perhaps. You're not sure if anything new this Advent season uh, will bring something? Maybe just the same old thing happening? Or are you like Mary, young, idealistic, ready to obey God at a moment's notice? Even when it seems that what God is saying is impossible. Maybe we won't be called to the same level of commitment that Mary was called to, but certainly we can accept by faith an assignment that Zechariah and Elizabeth were given. Are you willing to be used by God to bring to the world a message of salvation and hope? Will that happen this Christmas? I have to admit, I'm probably a little bit more like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But I want to be more like Mary. How about you? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this opening um, sign that we are to prepare our hearts to receive Christ to receive Christmas. And Lord, let us not just go about our business, our day-to-day business, like Zechariah would have in the uh, temple. But when you appear to us, when you send us a message, help us to be attentive and help us to, to hear. And like Mary, help us to be ready to, be, to receive it. Um, and like Mary, to be able to say, Let it be to me as you have said. Um, Prepare our hearts even now, Lord, to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue our um, worship with giving back to God as the worship team is getting ready to lead us in the closing song. And uh, so I ask the ushers to come forward. And if you uh, filled out that welcome